Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. And guys, this week, uh, I'm extremely excited to share um, the conversation that we're about to listen to. Um, It's a powerful one. Uh, It's about self-growth. It's about transforming. um, And it's really about uh, taking the consistent action to... um, turn your life and it's turning it from a direction you may not want to be in or may not want to be going in uh, to a new direction to a direction where you're finding more self-esteem because you are you are showing yourself what you're actually capable of Um, and I think uh, Gene Day who's this week's guest just has this powerful story and it's really it really connected to me Um, because I was thinking I was out on a run this morning and I was thinking about uh, the intro to the show and like what what I was going to talk about and you know what I was going to bring up. Um, and I started thinking like, why in the world am I out here at four forty five in the morning running up this hill? <laughs> you know, uh, when I could be sleeping. Like, what is it that drives me that makes me want to um, take on? these challenges right what like how have I found passion in running um and what has it brought to my life um and I was thinking about that a lot because um because Gene's found the same thing uh he's found this passion this love for endurance sports and it slowly has grown over time right like a person isn't just born an ultra runner um unless your name's Killian Jornet uh and um (laughs) But it takes these incremental steps, right? Like I can remember the first time I, I did a race, the Big Seven in Davenport, Iowa, seven-mile race. And I remember at mile five um, having gastrointestinal issues and having to walk walk it in pretty much the, the last two miles. Um, and I can still think back even before that, I can think of the mile run in PE in like first or second grade, whenever that was, and how difficult that was. And I think that's super important for people to remember. Um, And I think at the end of the day, both Gene and I, and probably you guys out there listening to this, we're seeking um, self-betterment, right? Like we're trying to wake up every day and we're trying to take these incremental steps forward and up towards improvement rather than down towards uh, complacency. And we're all just in this for self-improvement, self-betterment. Um, and maybe ultra running is not your thing. Maybe you have some other sort of hobby that you take on for self-betterment in your own life. And that's totally awesome. And I think that's the thing we sometimes, including myself, miss out on when we talk about ultra running, when we do these podcasts. Um, I think what I really want to instill in people who listen to the show, and it's always been this way since day one, about three years ago, is I want to instill this um, passion for seeking adventure, right? You're going to find self-betterment through adventure. And adventure doesn't necessarily mean, as you're about to hear, running around Mount St. Helens, or it doesn't act always mean you know um climbing a big mountain or sailing the oceans or anything like that um sometimes adventure really is finding your place stuck in life in in one certain routine and wanting to break out and the adventure is figuring out how to break out figuring out how to um kind of shift your life in a direction uh 
that you're more proud of. And, and Gene will get into that in his story. And that shift though can be, can be difficult and it's not going to happen overnight. And that's the hard part, especially when we go online and we see Instagram and we see Facebook and you see people who are where you want to be. You know, if I'm someone who's never ran a day in my life and all of a sudden I go online and I see all these folks who just completed the Boston Marathon, that might be a bit intimidating. It might actually keep me from taking those minor steps to go forward. Um, but it shouldn't because they were at a place that you were at um, at some point, right, of their journey. And you have to understand, like, this is all all of these things that you want to accomplish can be accomplished through the journey and the journey is what is the most important part and that's why i'm really excited to share this episode um gene's journey is uh inspiring to me um his mindset his philosophy the way he looks at endurance sports is so solid and it's the way everyone should look at these sports um it takes incremental changes it takes being willing to be bad at something before you will be good at something um and in this episode uh gene is about to take on his second 50k his second ultra marathon um but he's he's lived a life where um you know years a few years ago he was a guy sitting on the couch who was overweight and hadn't really ran a day in years and years and years right um and how did he get himself out of that and and turn himself into the athlete um that we know that we'll see today and that he'll prove to himself this weekend at the volcanic 50k um so that's one reason i'm excited to share the podcast (laughs) Now that we're six minutes in, uh, some other reasons though is uh, Gene has a crazy story. It's about probably I don't know, like thirty minutes into the show, um, about the purpose for running the Volcanic Fifty K, and I think it's a really interesting exploration of why we run, we choose the races that we do. And sometimes you know you're just like, oh, that sounds fun, and there's not really like a deeper meaning. But sometimes there are these really deep, significant meanings to us and to the other people that we are racing with or we're running with. And it's super important to remember. Um, all right. That's a lot of me intro in here. So let's get right into it. You should check out uh, Gene Day's blog. Um, it's called Boundary Conditions. So you can find that at, oh man, now my website's not coming up, boundary-conditions.com. Uh, he writes a blog with his partner, Melissa Vaught, and uh, it's awesome. You can get, dig into his mindset a little bit more. Um, and then you can also, he's very interactive on Twitter. Uh, that's kind of how we, we started chatting. So um, you can find that at Running Boundary on Twitter and and talk with him um, and follow along. He's doing a race this weekend. Hope it all goes well. Let's get right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 156 with the fantastic Gene Day. So a couple things I want to get into right away. Uh, you're <laughs> you're going into um, a really difficult 50K coming up, which sounds pretty cool. Um, the Volcanic 50K. And then you also sent me a message the other day. You are now training for your first Ironman triathlon. Correct. That's amazing, man. So first of all, 
let's talk about the 50k uh what's this race gonna be like like what it's one of your i mean how many 50ks have you done up until this point this will be just number two no way okay so i was wondering if it was number two or number three so yeah yeah so it's, it's number two we were originally so um i I'll, I'll sort of start at the beginning i'm originally from seattle melissa is originally from the east coast and uh we met out on the east coast when i was in philadelphia she was in boston she moved to dc and then uh i recently got the opportunity to come back to seattle for a job and and melissa was able to come with me and it wasn't until we moved to Seattle that we got into trail running and ultra running. We were almost exclusively road runners out on the East Coast. Um, but, you know, when you live in the Pacific Northwest and you're a runner, if you're not trail running, I, I don't I, I don't know what's going on in your head. Like, not, like if you're a road runner, I, I'm not disparaging it. I'm a road runner, too. I love road running. I'm just saying, like, there's such amazing stuff to go and see on the trails. Um that that I would I would encourage every runner who has the opportunity to run on the trails in the Pacific Northwest to do so. Um, I feel like that came out a little bit wrong. <laughs> when I started, but um, but uh, anyway, so so we only really started trail running about a year and a half ago when we moved to Seattle, and we had been sort of flirting with the idea of doing a 50k when we were running back east. Um, really it was more melissa who wanted to do it than than me i i for whatever reason was not into the trails at all i was a road runner um and but we got out here we started doing it i started realizing how much i loved it and um i started realizing like the difference in my body from trail running and how it's like trail running is for me at least it's a much more full body exercise than yeah. road running is um, it was easier. I have like a, a runner's knee on the right side. And when I trail run, like it just goes away. It's amazing. And so, um, so we decided to do a 50 K, um, when we came out here, cause we'd done a couple of road marathons in, um, back East in the last few years. And I'm the kind of person for whom, and I'm sure we'll get more into this, but like, too much is not enough for me, right? I'm one of those people who I don't I don't understand about stopping. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, you know, I've I've always been pushing distance because I'm not fast, right? And so I don't know how to push speed. Yeah. So, um, so I've been pushing distance, and and eventually the idea of a 50k, like I came around to it, it sounded like a cool idea. So. We signed up for the Cougar Mountain 50K, which is put on by the Seattle Running Club and Northwest Trail Runs. Um, Cougar Mountain is actually like a little foothill of the Cascades outside of Seattle um, in a little a little set of foothills called the Issaquah Alps. And but it's not it's not high, but it's pretty rugged. And that that 50K is it's 50 kilometers, of course, and it's 7,500 feet of gain. Wow, man. And so I was, you know, excited about it, but nervous about it. And, um, and we were training for it. And, you know, Philadelphia is flat. <laughs> and hang on, I'm, I'm going to sneeze in a second here. Um, but, um, <laughs> no worries. Philadelphia is absolutely flat. And Seattle, you know, there's, there's no, 
there's no flat ground in Seattle. Everything is ridges and up and down and up and down. And so we started running up and down hills and we started getting out onto trails and running these more technical and, and challenging runs and my hip just blew out. Oh. And so I, you know, we lost the 50K. I was briefly scared I was never going to be able to run again. Um, and uh, not because of any actual medical evidence, just because I, I got scared. Oh, yeah. Um, Wait. So pause for a second. So that happens to me like every time I get injured. You know what I yes. mean? <laughs> Where I get injured for like two days and I'm like, oh, my God, what if I'm never able to do this again? And I think that speaks to just how much you love this thing. You know what I mean? I think it's not, you can look at it as like a negative thing of like, oh, my mind's playing tricks on me and all this stuff. But the positive thing is like, you love running so much and being able to move out in the, out in the wilderness or outside that when something's a little bit off and you know, you're not like up to your normal potential, it, it worries you a bit. Oh yeah. Absolutely terrifies me. Um, and, and I, and I can go to a, dark anxious depressed place in my head you know and and running is something that helps me deal with that so it's like a double whammy right it's like i i i work on my depression and my anxiety and my alcoholism by running and and when i can't run i'm i get afraid that all those things are are going to consume me again yeah um and so but anyway so i blew out my hip we lost that race um we ended up so that race is in October and my hip went out like really like just this time last year. So I didn't run all of July and most of August, my hip finally started getting better with a lot of physical therapy and I started running again. Um, and then I promptly blew out my quad on a big hike that we oh. did. And so that put me out for another week. And then once I got back from that, I threw my back out and I don't even know how I did it. And so that put me out for another two weeks. And so then it, we, you know, we came up on the race weekend when we had dropped back from the 50 K to the 20 miler. And I had 13 days to train for a 20 mile. Trail race. Um, so being the incredibly intelligent person that I am, I decided to run it anyway. <laughs> That's the sign and, of a true, a true trail runner. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up basically hiking it and it took me like five hours and, um, and I finished second to last, but I, you know, I had a good day and I, and I was glad that I went out and I, and I did it, but then that meant that, you know, we still hadn't been able to do our 50 K. And so we signed up for the fragrance Lake 50 K, which is one of Candace Burt's races. Okay. And, um, and that's in February and it's up in Bellingham, which is about a hundred miles North of Seattle. And it's on chucking up mountain and it's also, you know, 31 miles and, and 7,500 feet of gain. And we were training for it and training for it and training for it. And we really did the work and, and I felt like we were really ready for it. And then, um, Seattle got two feet of ice and snow and the race had to be canceled. Oh. Um, dude, so setback after setback so far. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, so it, you know, so instead we signed up for one of Northwest trail runs, other races that day on Whidbey Island. Um, and we did a trail marathon that day, um, which was a lot of fun. And, you know, my first long trail race and, 
And then we signed up for the Badger Mountain 50K, which is in eastern Washington in uh, at the end of March. And it is, it's actually a 55K. My watch recorded it at 35 miles. Okay. And it's got about 5,500 feet of gain. It goes up and down these sort of rounded, eastern mountains um they're not like the the cascades that you think of when you think of the seattle you know sort of jagged peaks they're they're more um more of these like rounded sort of like i don't even know exactly how to describe them, it but looks they're still yeah up and down, you know? yeah i've talked to a few people who have done this race it looks kind of like you're running at least all the pictures I'm seeing are like, there's not a lot of trees. Like it's, it's, you're kind of running like out in the open, but there's definitely mountains there. Yeah. It's all stage scrub, right? There's, okay. Yeah. There's the, the tallest thing on the course is you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, it's out, it's in the sun and, um, and we did that and it took me like nine hours. Um, but, and, you know, a lot of it is on, like, these dusty Jeep trails in this off-road four-wheeler area. Um, and it's I mean, it's a very well-put-together race, but it's also, it's just not the terrain that I was training on yeah. in Western Washington. Yeah. So, it was, I mean, it was a real challenge. Um, I had a good day, um, and, and I was excited by it. We were super happy with it. Um, then we went on vacation, and... Um, and came back and did Tiger Claw, um, which was uh, Ethan Newberry's race, the Ginger Runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, you know, that one was 22 miles and, and 7,700 or 8,000 feet of gain um, up and down the Issaquah Alps a couple of times. And that was a fabulous race. I almost like, I almost don't want people to find out about how cool it was because <laughs> it's, they can only put 200 people in it and I want to be able to get a bib, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, but anyway, so we did a bunch of these long races and I, and on trails and I felt like I really wanted to do something really special. Um, and I wanted to do it alone. And so this has been, you know, a very long winded way of getting into my race, which is in 10 days, which is the volcanic 50. It's put together by go beyond racing. Um, and it's a loop of Mount St. Helens. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm super excited for it. There's a, a trail that circumnavigates Mount St. Helens called the Lewitt Trail. And um, it's including the the like two-mile trail that you need to to hike up to gain the, the Lewitt Trail. Um, the whole race is like 32.4 miles, so it's like a 52K. Um, it's got 8,000 feet of gain. Um and again, for like 20 or 25 miles of this race, the tallest thing on the course is you. Um, I don't know how much uh, your reader, your listenership knows about Mount St. Helens. Um, it's a relatively well-known mountain because, of course, it erupted in 1980. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, the top, I don't know, 2,000 feet of the mountain or something um, just slid down the side of the mountain into Spirit Lake. Yeah, it was yeah. it was like it was a uh, um I'm trying to remember the exact word, but basically the whole side of the mountain just like exploded out of it. It didn't go yeah. straight up. It was the just the side of the mountain exploded. 
Yeah, it was it was a lateral pyroclastic flow. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a science teacher. I should know that. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, it was the largest landslide in recorded human history, and um, it it flattened I don't know how many millions of acres of forest, and the blast zone is still uh, completely denuded. There's no trees. There's very little water. Um, it's just dust and lava fields and pumice fields and boulder fields, um, and that's like, like, like twenty miles of the race. Wow! And that's just exposed, like no shade whatsoever in those in that no. area. Yeah, that's um, that's that can be and, brutal, man. Yeah, and given that. You know, you think Western Washington and the mountains, people tend to think it rains all the time, but August is very dry and generally very sunny. I am praying for overcast skies. If you know a rain dance, start doing it now. <laughs> um, because I'm not good at heat. Um, I am really not good at heat, and I am really scared about this race. I'm one of those people who just sweats and sweats and sweats. Yeah. Um, and... And I lose a lot of water. And of course, they have aid stations, and you can fill your water up and, and that kind of thing. But, um, but it's just—I think it's just going to be a long, hard day. They say to plan for it to feel like a fifty-miler. Wow. Um, and and most of the of the times that you look at are times that are sort of fifty-miler times. You know, like the people who win it do it in like seven or eight hours. Jeez. Um, as, as a fifty k. <laughs> um, and I picked this one. Because I was actually there the day it exploded. Really? Uh, yeah, I was. So I was six years old, and my when I I grew up in Seattle, but my grandparents, my dad's parents, lived on the eastern side of, of the mountains in the Tri Cities area, which is sort of southeast of Yakima, which is where Badger Mountain is, and. We were driving back across the mountains on Highway 12 that day, May 18th, 1980, when the, the mountain erupted. And, you know, I remember literally, and that's the direction that the blast went, right? So we were far enough away that we weren't, like, literally caught in a volcanic blast. I don't want to imply that. But it went pitch black at, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, ash falling from the sky you had to cover your mouth in order to breathe even though i was only six years old i remember like every minute of that day wow. um it was so black that like inside the car you couldn't see anything except i could see like my dad's face being lit up by the dashboard lights you know that was it there was nothing um and it was super scary we were the third to last car that was allowed over that pass before they closed the pass um and my dad, you know, he drove us at, you know, five or six miles an hour through three foot deep ash, um, all the way, all the way home. That's insane. So wait, so not only are you driving in what I have to imagine is like no visibility, but you're on a mountain pass. Yes. Oh my God, man. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a scary day, and I assume it was far scarier for my dad because oh, yeah. I don't, you know, I was six, I didn't know what. Yeah, was going you had on, the right? childhood innocence going on, you right. know. Meanwhile, 
<laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, your dad's like, oh, some something insane just happened. Right. Exactly. And and of course, I mean, we could tell it was a, an eruption of yeah. some kind, but you didn't know. Like, it wasn't there. There wasn't the internet at that time. We didn't. You know, the the all of the the radio stations were out. There was nothing on the radio. Um, Whoa, so we man. had no idea what was going on. Dude, you just gave me chills. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was an apocalypse, right? Yeah, uh, like you didn't know if you were driving into an apocalypse, basically. No, exactly, we knew nothing. That's so um, crazy. And, and we didn't, and we didn't know that turning around and going back would be any better. You know, yeah, like yeah. it was just, um, and and you couldn't stop because it was it kept getting worse and ash kept falling more heavily. Um, so so that was a scary day, right? And. Um, and so I always kind of had this idea of, of going, you know, I feel like Mount St. Helens and I have unfinished business, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, uh, this past year in 2018, um, my dad died and they gave at his funeral, they had one of the military flag ceremonies because he was a veteran and they gave me the flag. And so I've had in my, in my head that I wanted to you know, go and take his flag and carry it around the mountain. Wow. Um, and I don't think I'm actually going to carry the flag because those flags are huge. Yeah. It weighs like seven <laughs> pounds. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think I may like take a thread from it or something like that. That's cool. Um, and, and go and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a spiritual person, but I, I like the idea of, of sort of closing that loop, you know, and, and, dad took me safely around that mountain and and to be able to go and and do the same thing would be kind of cool that's really cool man that's so special i it's funny because you you don't realize what kind of stories people have when they're like yeah i signed up for this this race and you're like oh that's really cool that sounds like a really interesting race and then you know people drop stories on you like that and it's 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 just interesting because you kind of think like how many other people is this race like really incredibly special and incredibly meaningful towards, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, everybody, everybody you meet has, has a story. Uh, you know, I'm not the first person to say this. I don't remember where I, where I heard it first, but like everybody you meet is fighting a battle you can't see. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I try to be respectful of that when, when I go into those things, um, that, that you, you don't know what people are fighting for, you know? And, and I think that that's a huge aspect of how I try to conduct myself, you know? So like our Twitter account is called running boundary. Um, and, and that's how I try to conduct myself online too, right? Like, um, I know there can be these competitions, especially, you know, now that I think of myself sort of as a, as a burgeoning ultra runner, people talk about, you know, like, Oh, well, how far have you gone? Have you done a hundred miles yet? Have you done 200 miles yet? Whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and yet, you know, there's, there's a million people out there for whom finishing a 5k would represent the achievement of their lifetime. And, and it is absolutely as big a deal for them. Exactly. As, as this is for me, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not about the distance. It's not about the speed. It's about how much of your soul are you putting into this run? Yeah. 
Well, and and if you think back, I mean, no one's born an ultra runner. No one's born yeah. an Ironman triathlete or triathlete. You know, like at one point for you and I, like a five k was incredibly like was the thing you put your heart and soul into. Um, yeah. And you know, and just to speak to the challenge of a five k. It's super hard, <laughs> you know. I still think yeah. I'm like, man, I did a 5K a few months ago, and it was brutal for like however long it took me. The whole time I was just like, I want this to end immediately. <laughs> yes, I, I I don't know if you know. Um, I think her Twitter account is fueled by lols. Um, her name's Holly. Uh, she's a, a East Coast runner, um, and she specializes in like the 5K and the half marathon, and. She said, and I completely agree that the um, the last mile of a hard five k feels like ten marathons. Oh yeah, yeah. It's so so painful to just redline like that for for whatever it is. For me, my my five k pr is twenty four minutes, and wow, does that hurt when I'm running? Oh hard. yeah, I personally like I would rather do a fifty k like every day of the week than run a 5k just because I, of that I don't know about a 50, but I, I, I would definitely rather run a marathon than a 5k <laughs> yeah. yeah man that's tough oh man yeah so you're right though like i mean it's what's in what you're putting your heart and soul into other people can put it into as well and i always think yeah. like i i have young kids right and they've been doing this trail running series this summer and it's so funny because it's like a half mile trail run you know but it doesn't matter like the distance my daughter who's five goes through all the ups and downs and all the emotions in that half mile that i go through in a 50k you know yep <laughs> so i believe it i believe it and you know i did a i did a 25k race um like a week and a half ago and you know, like, yeah, I'm training for this big, huge, what for me is a big, huge 50K. And, and this was, you know, it was literally only half of it. It was, yeah. you know, but, but it had, uh, a, the, at the turnaround point, there's like a four mile, 2,400 foot climb. And yeah, you feel like you're dying. You feel like it's, it's, you know, miserable in you and the, and it just never ends and it never ends. And it was this, you know, the, the climb, it was, it was like perfectly smooth, you know, it was like a 12% grade nonstop for four miles <laughs> and it just unrelenting. And you go through all of those same emotions and it, it doesn't matter that it's a shorter race. Um, it's, it's that, uh, you know, you're giving everything you have. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and so I, I, I respect that and I respect what people are bringing to these races, you know, whether it's, a hundred meters or a hundred miles. Yeah. Do you think there's something to be said? Cause I, I've been thinking about this recently. Um, sometimes the heart, like, do you think there's something to be said about just knowing the distance that you're running that day? It doesn't matter how long it is. It's going to be difficult for the last 10% of it. Because like for me, if I go out and run like a six mile run from my house that I've done a billion times, Sometimes that is way more hard than any race I've ever signed up for. Yeah, I, so I, I think of it in terms of like I, you mentally prepare for the distance you know you're going to do, right? And yeah. so, so like I was 
I was when when I can when I know I'm approaching the finish line, I'm ready to be done. And it doesn't matter whether it's a 5K or whether it's a 50K. Um, I'm I'm ready to be done at the end of that race. And so, uh, yes, I think it's I think it's all about the mental prep. And and you know I've said for a long time like I have no interest in doing 100 miles. Um, but I but I do wonder. Part of me wonders if I were gonna do a hundred miles if it would feel the same if, if i would get to the end of the 50k mark and be like yeah okay i'm a third of the way done that yeah. feels where i feel like where i should be you know yeah. that's what i mean i haven't done a hundred miler yet um but that's what people have told me that's because i you know my whole reply is because i've done a few 50s and people are like are you gonna do a hundred i'm like you guys i don't know if you don't understand this but that's double. That's double what I just did. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but like when you get to 50 and 100 miler, you just don't feel as bad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I, I really think there is there's like a huge mental prep component to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I did my last long training run uh, for for Volcanic was, was this past Sunday. I'm in the taper now. And... You know, I did 22 miles and, you know, what I can now say only 3,500 feet of gain. And and I was done at the end of it because I knew that I was going out to do, I was going out to do 20 and it ended up being 22. Yeah. And I was just done. I was ready to be done. Um, But when I get to the 20 mile mark on August 3rd, I'm, you know, because I'm going to have 12 more to go, I'm going to be in a different mental place. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. Um, but I'm, I, I guess I'm curious, how did the, how did the first 50 K go for you? Like, was there any moments you said you had a pretty good day, but was there any moments where you kind of like got tested or you hit a, hit that low point or, or what? Like, how did it, how did you do? So, Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I actually have a little, uh, a tiny little utterly unviewed YouTube channel where I have like 30 second clips of, um, there's like 12 little 30 or 40 second clips of, of me talking to my phone during that race. Um, and, and yes, absolutely. I, you know, I got to the point, so I got, to, I got to the point coming up Candy Mountain. So Candy Mountain, there's two mountains right next to each other, Badger and Candy. And the the race is an out and back. And so you start by going over Badger, then you go over Candy, and then you could do like this this 10-mile out and back, and then you have to go back over them when you come back. And Candy Mountain, it's not high. The whole thing is only 600 feet gain or something like that. But it's 600 feet in like a third of a mile. <laughs> um, That's rough. And it's it's really rough and it's and it, you hit it at mile 29 or something you know and and it's just like i you know i have this recording of me going this is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know yeah i was just it, it was exhausting and um i also get to the point too where like i just can't run anymore you know i do a lot of hiking i'm not i'm not fast i'm not um you know, as far as like ultra runners go, I'm not in the best shape. <laughs> um, 
I, I just, I do what I can. And I, you know, I will get to the point where it's like, especially coming down Badger Mountain with like a mile and a half, two miles to go. Um, I, you know, I'm going, it's downhill. It's a super non-technical trail. Um, and I just couldn't force myself to jog. You know, I just didn't have it in me. And so I like hiked and hobbled. And I, at this, I, I do this gate that I call Sasquatching. You know, yes, just, I dude. Like, I, if anyone understands that, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, you know where you're just kind of like shambling, and 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 do at in my case at like at like a 15 minute per mile pace or maybe 14 minute per mile, and and that's just that's all I have at the end of of those races. And I know I'm going to be doing that at Volcanic, um, because. You know, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to have anything left. And, but that's, that's why I do this, right? Like, yeah. I, I keep saying to myself, I want to throw myself at the wall until I break. Um, I, you know, I, I haven't found my breaking point yet. Um, I've never had a DNF. I've had a few DNSs, but I've never had a DNF. Um, I, you know, for some reason, for some way, I've always managed to, get out there and do everything I had to do to cross the finish line at the end of the day. Um, and, and I'm super proud of that. You know, the, like, not that I, well, okay. So at tiger, at, at, um, at tiger claw, um, David Laney won that race and, you know, he's this super amazing elite ultra marathoner. And you know what? I crossed the same finish line. He did. That's right. That's the beauty of ultra running. I think. Yeah. And, and so, you know, yeah, there were four hours between when he crossed it and when I crossed it, <laughs> but, um, but I crossed the same finish line he did. And, you know, I had gone into that race com- with complete permission to fail, um, internally. Uh, so I, I mentioned before, like I went after Badger Mountain, we went on vacation, we went to the Iceland and the Faroe Islands and I was super stoked because we were going to go trail running and, and hiking and then the day, literally the day before we left, I wrecked my bike and twisted my ankle. Ugh. And I could barely walk. I spent most of that trip in a in an ankle brace. And um, you know, we did do some hikes and and uh, we did some. You know, some shorter. I, I was able towards the end of that trip to do a little bit of road running. I still didn't trust my ankle on the on trails. Um, but then we got back from that, and we had like four days before Tiger Claw, and the longest I had run since Badger was like four miles. Um, and all of a sudden, and flat, and all of a sudden, we had a twenty-two mile, eight thousand foot trail race. Um, and so, you know, I walked into it just saying if I can't do this, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. I'll give myself permission. And, and, um, but you were able you know, to do it ultimately, you know what I, I mean? Guess. And that's what yeah. like, I even, I read your, uh, latest blog about tapering and you kind of uh-huh. conclude it with this whole, you know, wondering whether or not you, will be able to do it or whether you can find, are you, or are you going to reach your limit here? And I just want to say, man, like, I don't think you're going to find your limit. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think you, I think like people were just like, 
it's incredible how mentally strong and mentally tough we can be because you just describing that tiger claw race like you were going into it even like when your brain was saying like oh it's okay if i if i'm not able to finish this it makes sense right because i was injured and all this stuff but you still finished it because your brain and your your mind is so much stronger than most of us even realize you know what i mean and and i think that is at least for me like doing ultra running like that's the one of the biggest takeaways i've i've learned from doing this crazy sport which seems ridiculous at times <laughs> you know yes. what i mean but I, I i just think like you realize like whoa i am able to do this and i'm tougher than i ever possibly imagined i yeah yeah i i completely agree like i think and 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 here's the other thing about that is i'm not special right like i i feel very confident and very actually pleased to be able to say that i'm not special i'm i am not a great athlete um what what i do in terms of these races may be uncommon but it is in no way abnormal in the sense that anybody who trains like i do like 99% of the population, if you don't have a disability, if you train like I do, you're going to be able to do what I do or better. I'm, I just, I don't have, like, I look at the people who train the way I do and 75, 80% of them are faster than me and, and climb better than me. It's, it's the ability to do these things is, is utterly commonplace in terms of what human physiology is about. And so, it's really just are you willing to make the investment and the commitment and the and the decision to say i'm going to stand at the start line and i'm going to run or i'm going to hike or i'm going to crawl <laughs> until i get to the finish line yeah. and and if you make that decision your body will carry you through yeah yeah, I 100% agree. And I mean, I guess now would be a good time to kind of like jump into your story because you mentioned like not being an athlete. Was were you ever an athlete? Like was that was running ever a part of your your life until like kind of I don't want to say recently, but like, you know, in this That's relatively recent. Yeah. No. Um I was absolutely not an athlete of any kind. Um I you know, growing up, I didn't play sports. I tried out for the baseball team in 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 high school and didn't make the team. Um, I I just I wasn't I was never any good at at any sport. I'm I'm just I'm not I, I'm not gifted with either fine motor control or with any special speed or strength. Right? Like I, I'm not I don't naturally have any of that. Um, and I also just kind of wasn't interested in sports as a kid. Um, and, and so, yeah, I did absolutely nothing. I, you know, I played, I played, um, a little bit of intramural soccer in, in college and grad school. Um, but I played goalkeeper because I wasn't fast. I don't have any good footwork. Um, but I'm willing to stand between the ball and the net and, and take the hit. Right. Yeah. So that's so that actually can... a great description for ultra running. <laughs> Just yeah, like, exactly. I'm willing to take the hit. <laughs> like... <laughs> yes. You know, my, my sole athletic 
ability is that I am willing to be in pain for a long time. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. And then, and then, you know, kind of starting after college and in grad school, I started drinking a lot and, um, I started smoking and I started smoking in college. And so, you know, for the next 12 or so years, um, I just kind of deteriorated. I was smoking at least a pack a day. I was drinking towards the end of my drinking career. I was drinking a bottle of whiskey a day or more. Um, and, um, and I, and I, I, I did nothing physical, like nothing at all. Um, and so, you know, I was like 235 pounds and, um, and I was just utterly and completely out of shape. And I, I got to the point where I don't want to get too far into the, the actual like drinking story. I don't, you know, you don't need to hear any war stories about that, but, um, but I got to the point where I did, I didn't much care if I lived or died as long as I wasn't living the way that I was living, you know? And, and so I, uh, I literally just Googled alcohol rehab (laughs) and, and called the first phone number I saw. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and a nice guy named Jay answered the phone and I ended up going to a rehab out in California for about six weeks. Um, and that was February of 2008 and I haven't had a drink since. Wow, man. Uh, so it's, it's about 11 and a half years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that has not always been easy. I, you know, I don't like people talk about like conquering addiction. I did not conquer addiction. Addiction completely conquered me, which is why I don't have to drink anymore. Right. It was just like recognizing that I lost drinking one, um, battle over. (laughs) And so, um, I have given up, I have completely surrendered you know, as long as I spent a long time fighting it and trying to be like, well, maybe I can find a way to drink normally, or maybe I can find a way to drink the way that I want to, but only sometimes or, and, and trying to hold on to that ability to control my drinking and to win that fight. I, I was just completely doomed. Um, but when I just completely gave up and said, you know what, I lose, let's see what happens when we accept the fact that I have been defeated by this. Um, I, I found out that I, I could move through it to the other side and I, uh, so I haven't had a drink in about 11 and a half years. Um, about a year and a half after I got sober, I quit smoking. Um, I couldn't do both those things at the same time. I tried, it didn't work. Um, and then about a year and a half later, uh, after I quit smoking, Um, at this point I had gotten divorced and I was, you know, but I, my career was flourishing and, and I, um, I was starting to do well professionally and I was starting to feel physically a little bit better and I, I was wanting to start maybe dating again. And so I figured, um, I better get into some kind of, of shape because, you know, like a lot of alcoholics, um, when I quit drinking, I really developed a sweet tooth 
And so, you know, I put on a little more weight and, um, and I, I just, even though I wasn't drinking or smoking anymore, I, I still had done absolutely nothing about my physical condition in terms of my fitness. So, um, and if I had stopped there, that would have been okay. Right. Like my health was much better than it was three years beforehand, but, um, but I wanted to, to, to make another change in my life. And so I started doing whatever I could do, which was, I didn't know anything about fitness. I didn't know anything about running. I didn't, I literally, I knew absolutely nothing. Um, so I just started doing like 10 push ups and, and 20 or 30 sit ups every night at home. And then I started walking after work and after walking for uh, a few months of walking a mile or two a day, um, the weight started to come off. I, and I decided to try to, um, try to do a little jogging. And at first, like I could not make it to the end of the block literally. Um, and, uh, but, um, I went to, you know, I was running in tennis shoes and cotton shirts and shorts and cotton boxers. Like it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. In in St. Louis heat in the summer. Right. <laughs> um, so bad combo, bad combo. It was a terrible combo. I was chafing horribly, but I didn't even know what chafing was. Yeah. I just knew that like I hurt. Um, <laughs> And, and I was so embarrassed, but I, I like I made a conscious decision that I've had to do a couple of times in my life, um, but but which has always served me really well, which was to like stop and say, it's not embarrassing that you don't know these things, yeah, because you don't have an education, and you know one of the one of those sort of hallmarks of my life, the one, the one thing in my life that I've always been really good at is education. I was, I was good at school and I stayed through school and I, you know, I have a PhD in systems engineering and, um, and so I just decided, okay, I'm going to find somebody who knows more than me and I'm going to do what they tell me to do. That's how I got my PhD. That's how I got sober. It's, it's how I do everything in my life. I find somebody who knows more about it than me and I do what they tell me. And so I went to this little running company in St. Louis called Big River Running Company that was owned at the time by Ben Rosario, who is now the coach for the Hoka Nazalite. Um, and I just like walked in the door and I was like, I'm trying to jog and things are going terribly and I don't know what I'm doing. Can somebody help me? And you know, I was, like I said, I was in a cotton shirt. I was in cotton trousers. I, you know, I was wearing tennis shoes and, and, and I was 50 pounds overweight and, you know, I was scared that they were going to laugh at me or whatever. Um, but of course that's not what they did. They said, that's fantastic. Let's figure out, let's get you outfitted the way you need to be. Um, and they were so cool about everything. And, um, and they got me set up and I, and I started jogging around this park that was near my house and, and then the weight really started to come off and, um, and, and so that all started when I was about like 36, maybe wow. um, 44 now. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I didn't start running. I didn't start doing anything physical until, until I was like 35 or 36 years old. Yeah. I, I, one of the notes I made in the, in like preparing for this is, it's something I've just been thinking about lately is just the idea of 
discipline, right? And you, I mean, you just said like you, you had a, you have a PhD. So obviously you understood the concept of discipline and how effective it can be, um, in certain aspects of your life. And yet it seems like you, I mean, like you said, you didn't really apply that to exercise or health or whatever until 37. So just like out of curiosity, like how have you seen that? Like you learning that through, uh, like academia, right? Like, how have you seen that like bleed over into your running? If that question makes sense. If, no, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, I, and I don't want to portray myself as a model student in, when I was doing my PhD either. I know there, there are a number of people who will, who will look at that and be like, dude, that was when you were really drinking heavily. You were not necessarily a great student. And that's true. I wasn't. Um, but, um, but I, there's, I have learned a lot of things in my life by being bad at them. Um, and, and so I think I said this on the Diz Runs podcast as well, um, a podcast, but like the, I really feel strongly like the only thing it takes to be good at something is to be willing to be bad at it long enough. I loved that so much that, yeah, I loved when you said that. Um, and so, you know, I, I was I was willing to be bad at the things that I wanted to eventually become good at. And there's all kinds of things that I have no interest in being good at. So I'm, I'm just, I don't, I don't practice them. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but some, but if I want to be good at something, um, or at least if I want to be the best that I can be at something, um, I don't have the luxury of being naturally gifted at a lot of things. I, I have to work really, really hard. And yeah, and you know what? The, the truth is, I think that there, there actually aren't so many people who are truly naturally gifted at a lot of things. The people that are really, really good at, um, at ultra running or at, you know, the, the musicians that you see at the concert hall or whatever, like they bust their ass. Yes, they have natural talent, but natural talent withers on the vine if you don't work. Um, and you know, one of the things I love is, is, uh, Mike Wardian, he posts his workouts on Instagram and you can see the kind of work that he does. And it's like, he doesn't just get out there and run. He's in the gym busting his ass, you know? And, um, and so like for me, I, I'm not naturally gifted a lot of things, but the one thing that I just feel like I wasn't, I didn't really cultivate this. I just kind of have it is this sense that it's okay to be bad at something as long as you just keep going and you can see that sort of steady progress. I don't even want to say improvement, right? Um, because I don't always improve. Sometimes I go backwards and, but, but even going backwards is can can be progress if what I care about is I'm, I'm trying to find the right way to say this um, when I first 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 started exercising at all those push-ups and sit-ups and walking around the block my mantra every day was don't get diabetes 
that's what I said to myself as I was doing this. It wasn't about wanting to finish a race. It wasn't about wanting to be fast or, or achieve some kind of physical look or something like that. It was, I don't want, we're going to get back to my dad now. I don't want to live the life my dad lived. Um, my father never did anything physical. Um, he, he never really worked in his life consistently, like as a profession. Um, he, he taught me a lot about what not to do as an adult, um, through his example. And I love my father and he was a, he was a good man, but he wasn't a disciplined man. And, um, and so he got diabetes when he was very young, you know, 20 something. And, uh, and then when he was 50 something, he had a stroke and he spent the rest of his life in a chair until last year when he passed. And I just, I saw myself going down that same path. I was overweight. I was, um, you know, I would get out of breath going up a half of a flight of stairs. I, I just, I, and, and I saw myself having a stroke at 50 and, and living the rest of my life in a chair. And I didn't, I saw what that did to my father. I saw how diabetes just destroyed his life. And, and I said, I, I can't let that be me. Um, and so I, you know, and I know if you walk around the block today, you've done something good today, but, but in order to not get diabetes, you have to do that every day or maybe not every day, but you have to do it consistently. Right. Yeah. So, um, or at least I do because I have the, the, the family predilection towards it, you know, and my glucose numbers were creeping up and they were, you know, I, I know that not everybody gets it if they, if they have a sedentary lifestyle, but, but me personally, like it's not just my family history. It was also my own blood numbers and, and my doctors saying this. Um, and so I started this, I started my entire fitness journey as a way to not get diabetes. And, um, and it has grown in importance in my life in other ways since then. But that's, that's what I was about. And to succeed at that, it's gotta be disciplined. It, it has to be a regular thing. You can't, you can't get yourself in really good shape and then let yourself go to pot again and expect not to get diabetes. If you have a, a, a body predilection towards diabetes. Um, and so it, it just, I had to make the decision to make it a lifestyle change for the rest of my life. Um, in order to, to reap the benefits that I wanted. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where the discipline comes from is I know if I stop, I, I have already seen what will happen. Um, and you know, my father died at 76, but he, he, he looked like he was 90 and he looked like he was 20 years older than he was for his whole life. And, he couldn't do the things he wanted to do and it made him angry and it made him sad. And I don't want to be homebound and I don't want to be angry and I don't want to be sad. So I do the things that I have to do to not be that way. Yeah. And through those things, you obviously have found joy and, and purpose and kind of like meaning and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, 
you know, I, I, I also have gotten, I, I've come to a kind of a place in my life where like the big medical physics, metaphysics questions, meds, I can't say that, metaphysical <laughs> questions of, of life and like, what is the meaning of life? Yeah. Like I kind of, I kind of don't care. Um, <laughs> you know, like for me, my life is about being able to be happy and healthy and have good relationships and to try to do try to leave the world a tiny bit better place than I entered it. Like, and that's it. Like, I don't care about the, the rest of the fancy, you know, questions of life, the universe and everything. It's just, what can I do today to make my life and the lives of those around me a tiny bit better? Yeah. And, and for me, physical fitness and running and achieving things, um, when, you know, based on, on the hand I was dealt in life, I should be dead by now. Um, and, and I've, I've just decided to try to do the best that I can do day by day to have a better life than that. Yeah. I'm a huge believer in just the small, the small acts, like having the most power, um, you know, and one of the reasons I even started the podcast was really just to like spread goodness, um, you know, cause you go on the internet and there's so much negativity all the time. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be a part of that negativity stuff. Like I just want to spread, if this spreads a little bit of goodness out there, then I feel like I've done my part. So, um, I'm totally, I'm totally on board with you there. And that's, it's really awesome to hear you put it into words because you're obviously like very well spoken and you know, you, you well thought out too, you know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I guess that, that that's one of those other discipline things. I think when I was a little kid, I was always reading the dictionary because I wanted to know new words. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so, so I do this because it makes my life better. And, and, you know, I hope maybe sometimes I, I, I'm conceited enough to think that, you know, there's somebody out there who listens to this podcast or um, or or imagines that these things are things that they can't do who will hear someone like me. And, you know, and I'm like I said, I was I'm as an alcoholic pack a day smoker and and 50 pounds overweight. And you know what? I'm not winning races. I am not Yassine Daboon. Right. Like he has a similar story to mine and he's fast <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he goes out there and he does all kinds of amazing things and, and that's awesome. But like, we're not all you seem to boon, right? Like I'm slow and I'm never going to be fast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm frequently, I'm almost always in the bottom quarter of the races that I finish. Um, I, I'm, you know, compared to the field, I am a slow racer and that's okay with me. Like I'm, I'm not, the finish line is my gold medal. Yeah, man. Well, Uh, and at the end of the day, you're crossing that finish line, you know? And so, you know what, that person, that, that imaginary person who's out there listening to this, that, that doesn't think that they can do it, they can do it. Yeah. Um, it's. Um, or, or, or they can do whatever it is that will bring them as much meaning as this brings me. Um, may, you know, maybe that's 
learning to cook for yourself or learning to play the piano or whatever it is like you can do it just be willing to be bad at it you're going to be bad at it for a while and be willing to to recognize to to accept the fact that you're going to need other people to teach you right like it's not it's okay if you don't know something if nobody's ever taught it to you yeah that's how beginner like i it's just it's hard with you know, all the social media stuff. And I just feel like people want and it kind of expect like to be instantly gratified and instantly good at something like right off the bat. And so, you know, like for me, uh, I've over the last couple of years, I've started like swimming for workouts and um, I'm not good at swimming. And I look like a fish that you've thrown on land, but like the opposite mm-hmm. of that, you know what I mean? <laughs> when they throw me in the pool, but, um, you know, and then there's the, but there's the part of my mind that's like, man, it would be really cool to look like Michael Phelps right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, you just have to be realistic with yourself and just be okay with not being a professional because most people are not. And everybody who's even like, like Michael Phelps at one point had to learn how to swim. Like that dude didn't know how to yep. swim right away, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's important for people to understand that perspective and, but it's also difficult. I feel like, you know, but at the same time I'm with you, like y- you can go out and if you just have some intention with whatever you want to accomplish, maybe that is learning how to like be a really good cook or whatever, Um, but if you have that intention, that's like the first step is just, you know, really understanding like this is something I want in my life and I need to work for it to, to be able to get it. Right. And I think being satisfied by incremental progress is super crucial. You know, like, like I said, the only thing it takes to be good at something is to be willing to be bad at it. But you don't, it's not like, it's not like you're just bad at it, 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 boom, you're good at it, right? Like, (laughs) you have to be able to eventually, you you see that curve as you improve, um, and, and as you learn new things, and I love that incremental progress, and I get to points where I plateau, right? So, like, my, the fastest I've ever run a road half marathon was, uh, 159.10, and I, my first, marathon half marathon was like two two hours and 40 minutes and like i set prs at like the next five in a row as i got like a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and and i learned about things like fueling and hydration um that i didn't know anything about and and um but then eventually i sort of hit that 202 203 mark and i just i completely plateaued and it took a couple of years for me to finally nudge underneath that two-hour mark. And now if I were to go out and run a half marathon um, on the road tomorrow, I'd probably be back up at 215 or 217 because I've been training for something else. And if I want to get back to that kind of speed, I'm going to have to go back through that incremental progress again. And that's okay. And maybe I'm never going to get better than 159. Um, or if I do, it's not like I'm going to be hitting 130. You know, I'm 44 years old. I'm not going to improve by 25% at the half marathon at this point in my life. And, and that's okay with me. But I can, 
but if I need to that feeling of being on the steep part of a curve, I can always pick up a different thing. So like yeah. Melissa recently introduced me to bouldering. And um yeah, Melissa, my partner, she is a much better natural athlete than I am. Um, although I don't I don't think that she would say that for herself, but from the outside it's completely obvious. Um, <laughs> and and she was she went, you know, rock climbing a few times and she asked me, uh, eventually asked me to join her. And at first I didn't want to do it because rock climbing requires skill. Right. And we've already talked about how I don't have any actual athletic skill. Um, uh, and but being willing to be in pain is not good enough for rock climbing. Right. There's technique involved that you have to learn. And so I went into it expecting not to like it and expecting to try it a couple of times and be like, hey, I, I just can't do this. Um, but what I've what. But I, I went in with the deliberate mindset of I'm going to be humble. I'm going to watch what people who are better than me do. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to see what's the best that I can do. And I've been – I mean this literally just started a couple of – about last month. And I've gotten to the point where I can sort of semi-reliably send a V2 route, which is still a beginner route, but it's not – the ultra base beginner and I, but I'm getting to the point where I seeing that progress and it's pretty fast. You know, when it started, the very, very beginner routes were, were too hard for me. And a couple of days in, I started to figure out, Oh, okay. You have to learn how to keep your weight close to the wall and you have to learn how to move your feet this way and that way. And, and, um, and I slowly, slowly, slowly got it. And now I'm getting, like just this last time I went yesterday, I was able to make a couple of moves on a V3 route that I didn't think I'd ever be able to make. And I haven't sent it yet, but I think I might be able to eventually. And and so I'm in that steep part of the curve where it's only been a couple of months, but I'm actually learning things really fast and it's super gratifying. And so, yeah, like I'm satisfied by incremental progress and maybe I've plateaued in running or whatever and I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm happy with what I can do, but I'm not making regular big jumps in my ability but i can i can still get that somewhere else yeah yeah do you think like this whole i mean it sounds like the volcanic 50k you're about to do is in, in a jump in of itself um over the just with the you know you said you have to expect like 50 mile times and whatnot yeah um do you do you think like distance you can increase distance like that you know what i mean I might be able to. I'm not sure I want to at this point. Yeah. Um, I so the next big race that I'm signed up for after Volcanic 50 is a 12 hour loop race, and oh, yeah. it's uh, it's here in Seattle in a in a municipal park. It's a it's like a two mile loop with 400 feet of gain, and you just do it as many times as you can in 12 hours. Yeah, that those events I've yet to try one. It sounds sounds rough. <laughs> and so it it sounds challenging. It, it definitely sounds challenging, but I think it suits me personally in in a couple of ways that are really valuable for me. Because so I don't know why exactly, but I'm someone who's always been like super satisfied by repetition, um, and 
I am comfortable with the idea of doing a two mile loop over and over and over again. That's not like emotionally, that's not going to be a huge mental strain. Um, and in part that's because when I run, I'm always just looking at my feet, right? I'm always just looking at the six square feet of trail in front of me to make sure that I don't trip over a rock or a root or something yeah. because again, I don't have that natural ability to just know where my feet are and I'm going to miss all the things that you can trip over. I can't do that. Um, so, so you know what? Six feet of trail, it doesn't really matter if you're doing a hundred miles in a row or a, or a one mile loop. If you're just looking at the ground in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so I think it suits me as a concept. Um, I also just kind of like the fact that like, so like we were talking before about like permission to fail and maybe I DNF this, the, the volcanic 50. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can't. Um, but there's, it's not like you can just drop out, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're like the Mount, Mount St. Helens is really remote. Um, and really rugged. And there's only like, the Lua Trail is like a 30 mile loop and there's only like four trailheads that serve it. Um, and that's where the aid stations will be. So, you know, it's not like you can just at any given moment be like, Oh, I'm done. I quit. Yeah. You're like, it's- Hey, I quit now. And I have to go seven more miles to the next aid station. <laughs> right. And then from that aid station, I have to go five miles to the trailhead to where <laughs> yeah. there's the car that can take me out. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so, doesn't give you the option of quitting easy um but i kind of like the idea that that at a 12 hour loop with a two mile loop i can just be like you know what it's been four and a half hours yeah done i think that makes it i think i mean i think that makes it that much harder honestly um with the permission to quit at a two mile loop like that would be difficult mentally you know what i mean and but yeah, absolutely. I think it is. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to see how that goes, man. I I have really enjoyed chatting with you. And dude, if there's any way I could talk to you again after these next couple of events, like I would personally just love that. Oh, yeah. No, I think that'll be great. I would love to. Um, and, and of course, we didn't even get into talking about the <laughs> I know. I know, man. So, yeah, we'll we'll have to do this again. Um but man, Gene, I, like I said, this was, this has been a really cool, uh, hour for the podcast and, and, uh, I have to like echo, um, cause I know D- the Diz Runs podcast put your episode back out. And if you guys want more from Gene, definitely check that out. But, um, Denny put that out cause he's like, this has been one of my favorite episodes ever. And I'm like, now I'm like, I totally get it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Yeah, man. Um, where can people kind of like follow you or interact with you? I know like me and you, like we had been uh, like tweeting each other back and forth yeah. for a while now, which has been really cool. So um, can you guys, can you kind of give you guys, your guys' uh, like information? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the blog, which is at boundary-conditions.com. Um, and that's where we put up uh a lot of like race and trail reports. We put up the pictures, um, from the, the trips we go on. It's, um, you know, Western Washington is so amazing and photogenic and I'm not like a great photographer or anything, but I am super proud of, of some of the pictures that we've climbed for, um, and gotten. So those are on the blog. Um, 
And then our Twitter account that Melissa and I jointly run is um, at Running Boundary. And uh, she signs her tweets with dash BB, which stands for Biochem Bell, which is her other Twitter handle. And then uh, I, I sign them with dash G so that people know which one of us we're talking, they're talking to. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the only other the only other social media thing that we have is um, we have a stupid little Instagram account um, with these two little stuffed animals that we drag all over the world. And that's called Rocco and Fetty travel the world. <laughs> and, um, and so there, so what, what the, one of the other things that Melissa and I love to do is, is world travel. And so every year we go on at least a couple of trips somewhere in the world and we take these ridiculous little stuffed animals with us and, and, and take pictures of them uh, wherever we go. So um, at Rocco and Fetty travel the world is, is that one. That's cool, man. Well, Gene, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with you again. Sounds great. I would love to do this again. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's show. Um, Huge thanks to Gene once again, man. You are an awesome dude. And I can't wait to um, hear about how your race goes and then have you back on the show at some point in the future because uh, I just I really like your perspective on this whole crazy running thing that we're all into. <laughs> um, but a couple things, man, for your race this weekend. Uh, and I don't even know if you'll listen to this before the race. So this might come after and you'll be like, Oh man, like I, I wish I would have heard that before the race. Uh, <laughs> I, I always tell myself, not always, but I've always, I always kind of have thought about this, this quote. Um, we have it posted up on, on my, one of my girls, uh, walls in their room. And, uh, it just says you are braver than you believe stronger than you seem and smarter than you think it's from Winnie the Pooh, (laughs) where all of our great knowledge comes from. Um, but it's so true, man. Like you are so much stronger than you think you are. Um, because I think I mentioned in the podcast, I read Gene's last blog post and he ends on a bit of, uh, like feeling like he's on his edge of of his possible and i can tell you dude what is possible and what you are capable of is so much more than you think uh that you are and you're obviously a mentally tough person um and you're able to kind of think logically and and that is going to serve you so much during this race is just kind of going into it with acceptance and understanding that it's going to be difficult, but you're going to power through because really, I mean, it's funny because I've done a bunch of podcasts about ultra running and, you know, I love the stories. I think it just breeds adventure so much. So cool. But at the end of the day, it comes to putting one foot in front of the other. And it doesn't matter how fast. It doesn't really matter how slow. I mean, for 99% of us doing ultra running, we're not really competing against anybody except our own self-doubt. And um, and really, we're out there not to necessarily win the race. We're not going to become famous. We're not going to like make millions of dollars. Like, There's no real LeBron James of ultra running. because there's not the money that LeBron would get. You know what I mean? But we are out there to expand our horizons 
and to expand our boundaries, right? Is our boundaries even a thing? That is the question we are exploring. And I think that's what 99% of us are out there to do. Um, and I think that's what you are out there to do, man. And, uh, you know, um, there's that old Ricky Bobby saying from Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. And it's, if you're not first, you're last. Well, I was thinking about this this morning. I think in ultra running, if you're not last, you're first, right? Like, it doesn't matter. If you finish, if you cross that finish line, you did it, man. You did it. And it doesn't matter how fast you're. In fact, screw that. If you're last, you're still first because you still are showing yourself what you are capable of. So ultra runners, we're the reverse Ricky Bobbies of the world. <laughs> um all right, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I hope everyone's out there seeking their own adventures. And if you are and it's something really cool and you're really proud of it, please send me an email, likeabigfoot.gmail.com. Um, I would love to hear your stories. Uh, I, I just enjoy talking with people and hearing about um, the ups and downs of all their adventures and all their stories and and hopefully giving people a platform to share it so we can spread that goodness around right spread that positivity and show people what we are actually capable of as human beings all right guys we'll get at you next week <laughs>